0: Welcome to episode 56 of The Process, Trust Your Experiences.
1: Live my life, I had to learn my lessons. I had to keep that smile, but deep inside I'm stressing. Trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression. It's time to tighten up. I put my pride
0: down and pick that Bible up. Welcome to episode 56 of the process. I am with Monte Martin. Today we have Coach Brian Johnson on the podcast. looking to the podcast, Coach Johnson.
2: Appreciate you having
0: me, bro. Hey, could you tell the listeners where you're from? I'm from
2: Tallahassee, Florida. Eight fifty, you know. Only <laughs> 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 take a lot of pride in that because it ain't a lot of it ain't a lot of us, and we lose contact. So it's always great when I can get on the phone and and talk to somebody, especially you. You know, I we we kind of grew up the same in the same church. I knew your grandparents, your mom, your cousin. You know, oh, yeah. so yeah. So it's, it's good to be on with you, bro. Yeah, we practically family, nah. Yeah, uh, for real. So could you
0: tell the listeners, you know, what it was like growing up in Tallahassee?
2: What it was like growing up in Tallahassee, man. It's it's crazy. I could give you the perspective when I was actually growing up, and then I could give you the perspective now, which is kind of completely different because I'm grown and I've kind of, um, uh, you know, see things a little different. But growing up in Tallahassee, man, it was it was it was interesting. Um. You know, you have Florida State, you had FAMU, so you really did have a town divided. I remember when Florida State and FAMU played a basketball game in the outfield. Probably haven't played one since then, because it was a big fight, and FAMU was actually running them boards. And uh, so that's kind of how it was growing up in Tallahassee. I mean, you was either kind of Florida State and FAMU, and then you know, with a historically black university and a traditional white university, what comes along with that too, a little separation. from the black people in town, the white folks in town. Um, But my perspective, my dad graduated from Florida State. So, you know, I was a Florida State fan. My mom worked at FAM, so I was also a FanU fan. And we'd go to all the games, depending on which ones we could get to and who was in town that weekend. So I got to see the whole thing, the whole picture. I got to see everybody, be around everybody. And when I started school, actually started school at Florida High, the lab school for Florida State. Um, wow. Yeah. So, you know, Tallahassee was really like just one big family. It's not a big, big place. So everybody knows everybody, especially when you're involved in the church like, you know, my family was and your family was. Um, you know, just like one big family. You see, you're going to see your church members at the mall, or the grocery store. So there was always some eyes on you. Um, and you knew that. Uh, so, you know, just that small town feel. Everybody know everybody, everybody's family. You know, it's it's, it's that concept that is, I think is long gone now, except at least I don't experience it. uh, Now that I have kids and I'm grown is, what they say, it takes a village. Uh, It it really, it it was really like a village growing up where, you know, you'll be at school and my homeboy mama come in to check him. I'm in trouble. Now we both in trouble from her. You know what I'm saying? Before (laughs) my parents even know that I'm in trouble. Um, and that's just how it, that's just how it was growing up in Tallahassee. So I got a real good like family foundation uh, growing up there, and I also got a real look at how the town is separated, and you know, it probably still is. Uh, even though I haven't been back in a long time, uh, I'm sure that there's still a lot of separation just because of that simple fact. You got the two campuses, you got two sides of town, and uh, it, you know that's just what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when did you uh, become interested, you know, in football and, you know, what inspired you or uh, piqued your interest in the sport? Man,
2: crazy. Yeah, uh, like well, like I said, my, my dad graduated from Florida State and he he walked on the Florida State football team in his time at Florida State. So we, we would get season tickets to the home games. Mm-hmm. And then because my mom graduated from University of Florida, we went to every... Florida State Florida game no matter where it was because they're from O'Kellar which is 30 minutes south of Gainesville yeah so uh that's really where football first started but I was I was basketball I love basketball Shaquille O'Neal was um somebody I looked up to so I wanted to play basketball um but I didn't I didn't grow to be six eight seven feet tall you know what I'm saying I stopped around. Six three and a half in high school. Six three and a half, almost six four. And then uh, I realized, okay, I'm still I'm taller than everybody, but I'm not taller than the tallest basketball player. And then I started growing out instead of up. <laughs> so, I started, <laughs> so I started getting bulky in the chest and bulky shoulders. Uh, started reaching that two eighty five, 300 range. Uh, so it's really only one left thing to do. Uh, and I was to play football. So I actually left Florida High in tenth grade, ninth grade. I left after my ninth grade year. Went to Florida uh, went to Gabi uh, to play football because my dad was like, you know, these people at Florida High are ready to put you on varsity and you in eighth grade. You ain't even played football before. <laughs> so he was like, nah, we are not doing that. You're gonna go be around a bunch of other football players where you gotta kinda, you know, start from the bottom a totem pole. Uh, so, I, you know, he sent me to Godby, and then that's kind of where that thing started me playing offensive line when I got to
0: Godby. So, how was that transition, you know, starting at the bottom of the totem pole at Godby?
2: Well, it was cool. I mean, I still got put up to varsity, which that was really, I think, more so just for grooming and experience because I didn't know anything about football. It was really my first year playing football. So, um, I was on varsity, but I did not play. I just. Yeah really scout team dummy, getting beat up by the older guys because I didn't know what was going on. Um, but that was when I first got into the weight room. And then that's when anything I had from a basketball standpoint was lost because mm. it wasn't me going in the backyard, shooting two, 300 shots a day. It was in the summers, I'm getting dropped off at the school and I'm working out for two hours a day. Um, and then that's when some of that, you know, just that natural strength that I had was sitting in there, just came out, and the little fadeaway little jumper was over the backboard. <laughs> uh, and then, like, you know, it was just different. Like I said, being around real basketball players. I mean, you know anything about Gabi back in, like, the 90s and the early 2000s, Gabi was the basketball school, right? They even rezoned the time that I was going, they had rezoned zoned Gabi. So a lot of the like the basketball players from Holton Street got sent to Leon to try to get Leon athletics going, you know what I'm saying? Because Gabi was just running basketball and then you had records. So um, I'm around real basketball players. I'm around real football players. So it was just a learning experience for me is, okay, you got to work out. You got to really put a lot into your craft. You got to do a lot. And then there are people out there that can whip you. I didn't really get that in Florida. Yeah. So once I got to Gabi and I really got to see the speed of the game, sit on the bench and watch it, uh, that's when kind of the development started.
0: After, you know, a great career at God, you know what I'm saying, what led you to LSU?
2: Um, man, a lot of things. Uh, Shoot, one, taking a visit there. First and foremost, Nick Saban was the head coach. This was his second head coaching job. and I don't know if it was the second head coaching job. I think he had a job in the MAC before he got Michigan State. And then he left Michigan State to come to LSU and um, went on. And, and I mean, everybody knows who Nick Saban is now uh, because of all the national championships. But this was like the beginning of all of that when I was going and I visited. So recruiting was on point. The facilities he was getting built around there was on point. My parents fell in love with it. I even fell in love. I I actually even got to go to a football game in Death Valley, which now I spent a lot of time in Dope Campbell Stadium. And Dope Campbell Stadium has this, you know, it's it's luster, all right. Yeah. But it, it at that time and even now, I don't think it comes close to Death Valley in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I was actually there for a very important game. We were there. It was me, my whole family. We were there for LSU Auburn. It was 2002. Uh, 9-11 it happened so that game was supposed to happen that weekend it got pushed back to the end of the year and now next thing you know this is a game to who goes to the sec championship to represent the west uh so the tailgating you know the recruiting you know i was young back then so you see a lot of beautiful college girls and that's what i you know that's what we think that's what i'm thinking about me and all the recruits we're looking at where the girls at you know what i'm saying but just the whole stigma and the aura of the, the, the stadium and what was going on around campus, and then they suck your parents in with the real stuff that matters, the academics stuff, all right, and the development as, you know, from being that 18-year-old kid that only wanted to look at where the girls was at into the grown man who's really got to go out and one day support a family, that's what they were looking at. How can my son be best set up to be, you know, successful from that standpoint? Uh, and it checked all the boxes. So even though I had had an uh, uh, option I wanted to go to really for all the wrong reasons, and my parents didn't want me to go to that school for all the right reasons, I ended up at uh, LSU because that's where we ended up coming up uh, to an agreement with me going. So, so once
0: you made that decision to go to LSU, you know, what was your major and why did you choose?
2: Uh, so I ended, I actually ended uh, with a general studies degree. So I had three minors. Um, But before I got to the general studies, I was actually an agricultural business major. Uh, I was going through that. And then I got to my lab coursework. And just so happened when I got to my lab coursework, I'm I'm competing for a starting position now. So uh, it, it got tough because there was a lab course, it was like a chemistry lab course that I had to take. It was only offered during the fall. And it was during practice time, three hour lab, during practice time. So I wasn't gonna be able to finish that. So I ended up going to uh, mass communication. Went to mass communication, became a mass t- communication major. And then all of a sudden they hit us with this crazy, this new, like, uh, and I'm trying to think what they call it, I don't even remember what they call it back, I ain't been in college in so long. But they came out with like a whole criteria for what you needed to graduate. Oh, um, yeah. And they added all these language courses that I, that I needed to take, that I just didn't have time to take all right. I didn't have that much time to be taking five languages. So, uh, I ended up switching over to general studies and then just became a, a, a minor in com- communications, a minor in kinesiology, and then a minor in African and African American studies. Because mm-hmm. uh, when I was undecided, I took a bunch of Af- African American studies classes. <laughs> So you know, I was like, yeah, let's just go on and minor uh, in that, and that, and, and that was a little strategic too. And you know, me graduating because I wanted to hurt, I wanted to graduate in the fall of my senior year and not the spring because I wanted to go and be able to train for the draft and not have to worry about taking classes. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, let's just do the general studies. Um, you know, hindsight twenty twenty, I, I would have done it a lot different, uh, but you know. At LSU, the, you know, the degree wasn't the main thing. It was playing football. You know what I'm saying? And I tell young cats now, you know, go to college and major in something for real, that you, you know, you know you can do something with it. But at that time, that's just what it was. It was general studies, got three minors, in. and and I'm, you know, that kinesiology minor has helped me. And then African African American studies is something I enjoyed a lot. I've always been a very good communicator, so those classes always uh, kind of. I always gravitated towards that anyway. My dad had me public speaking from a very young age, and you know if anybody know anything about Philadelphia, about Baptist Church? You're gonna get up there and say some speeches, announcements, or something. Something. So I got groomed for that from a very young age. So I just I just got to handpick some things that really interested me, and and that kind of helped get me through college because instead of taking a bunch of classes I wasn't interested in, I was able to at least do something that I was passionate about. Uh, and those three subjects were, were what kind of had my my attention at that time.
0: that's good. You're still using it uh, to this day. I wanted to ask. You know, you said you t- you talked a little bit about your transition from Florida High to God being readjusted to the speed and like the size of the athletes and things like that. I want to well, talk about you know your transition from high school to now. You in the SEC with LSU.
2: Man, it was really like it was the same. It was it was identical to me leaving. Florida High, not knowing anything or ever playing football and then going to Gabby. Me going from Gabby to going to LSU was this it was the same experience. I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't know nothing. <laughs> I mean, I got skills and abilities, but as far as like knowing the ins and outs of the game and really being in tune with, you know, offenses and defenses and like the the, the real mental part of all that, even even the rigors of training. I mean, it was like It was like being a baby, being born all over again. You had a whole new thing you had to learn and adjust to.
0: You know, now we look at coaches like, you know, Jimbo Fisher. He won a national championship at uh, Florida State. Uh, Yeah. Will Muschamp coached my Gators.
2: You know what I'm
0: saying? Bo Pelini, all these coaches, man. What was it like coming into the locker room? You got Nick Saban, Will Muschamp, Jimbo Fisher, and then Les Miles, Bo Pelini, Derek. Dooley, all these people on the And What was it like playing for these guys?
2: Uh, I mean, at the time, you didn't really think of it. You just thought that's just what it was and how it was supposed to be. But, you know, it was a time when all of them was real young and hungry. So y'all already know what it's like when you're around the young hungry cat that's trying to get to the bag. Yeah. That's when <laughs> that's when I was at LSU when Will Muschamp, Derrick Dooley, Jimbo Fisher, you know, Nick Saban had it, but you know, obviously Nick Saban Nick Saban had uh way bigger dreams than just, you know what I'm saying, being at LSU and dominating that. So I was around a bunch of young, hungry coaches just trying to get the bag. So that's how they approach every day. It wasn't no easy day. It wasn't no day just coming in and I'ma just go through the motions. If your body language wasn't right, if you wasn't on time, if you wasn't on your on point, like they was on you. And I mean, you look at that same type of system, you know, from LSU to now Alabama, and then even going to looking at uh, the New England Patriots, which same system, Belichick, you know, from the parcels of Belichick and now Nick Saban, that's the tree he comes from. Like it's, it's, it's very, very, very similar. All right, and it's a it's a model that has breed or bred success, uh, and I, I got told a long time ago that the difference between successful people and people that aren't successful is that the successful people want to do the things that the unsuccessful people don't want to do. So yes, that's what that's why your your mentality had to be like that every day because that was their mentality. They held you to the highest possible standard uh, that you could be held to. So that was every day going in the building, and you know. You, you go in there, and, and when I got to, to, to LSU, I wasn't that person. I wasn't somebody who held myself to the highest standard in everything that I did, right? Because a lot of my life, I was just better than a lot of people at what I did, right? So I didn't even have to try my hardest to be better than most people that I encountered growing up, especially when it came from an athletic standpoint. But at LSU, like, you you, you just are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're in a building full of coaches and older players that want to be great. They want to be perfect. Uh, so that was also a little bit of part of that transition we just talked about too. Like it wasn't just me learning football. It was also me becoming something that I wasn't at that time. And yeah. if anybody's ever been through that, that's tough. It's it's demoralizing. But it. it, it like I said, like you, you pick you pick which way you want to go. You're either gonna go the successful route, and you're gonna every day make sure that you're doing what you need to do to get to that level, uh, or you could just be the one who just get by and be happy saying that I was a football player at the LSU one day. You know what I'm saying? So take me back, you know, 2003.
0: What was it like, you know, going to these different stadiums and playing in these SEC stadiums and also, you know, winning the national championship? Man, it was it was
2: crazy. Um it's funny cuz the first the first stadium I went to as a freshman was Blacksburg, Virginia. Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was the craziest thing, one of the craziest things I had ever seen. So <laughs> By the time I got to going to play in Auburn, going to play in, in the Swamp, which I had been in the Swamp, I knew how that was, um, in Tuscaloosa, in Auburn, Alabama, like, at Georgia, it's a lot of pressure. And as an offensive lineman, especially when I was playing tackle, you can't hear your quarterback in, in those stadiums. Uh, so just that whole stigma of walking in there and all those people on top of you, and they either cheering for you or booing you, it kind of, you know, it helps you kind of elevate your game. And, you know, even like when I was a freshman, I was struggling and conditioning and some of that hard stuff we had to do, the hard practices. You know, once you get in the game, you kind of realize, okay, that's why all that stuff is hard. Because the game is real hard. And it ain't even just because it's four quarters, it's because you are going against a grown man for four quarters. And you got to have a little something that everybody else ain't got. Yeah. to get through those type of games. So it just, you know, being in those stadiums and going against those type of athletes just brought out the best thing. Um, and, and once again, it's just another example or another thing you can pull from to show, like, that I've overcome something to do something that a lot of people can't do. Yeah. And that that builds confidence. That breathes a certain Aura that you carry yourself. So when you walk into a room, people automatically look because you know, you've been somewhere and you've done something that most people wouldn't even push themselves to get through. Even if they had the capability to do it. So what was it like seeing your coach hold up that crystal ball? Man, it just all made sense. You know what I'm saying? It, It all made sense. And it was like, okay, this is what it takes. And, you just really, you get hungry to try to get the next one. It's like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this right now. But, you know, even back then, we had the 24 hour rule. You enjoy it for 24 hours afterwards, but then at hour 25, we got to get back to work and try to get another one. Yeah. And, and and that was where, that was our mindset. That's why we won that national championship, because that's the way that we thought. So even though you saw that crystal ball, and you, you, you could take a deep breath and be like, huh. Oh. Like, you still got that hunger. You still had that desire. You know, that's why Tom Brady said after he won, what, his second or third one, he's like, this is all this is? Like, I've been working so hard for this and this is it? You know what I'm saying? The thrill is actually in the process of getting that national championship, not getting the ring. I couldn't even tell you the last time I touched my national championship ring. It's in a case in the front room of my house. You feel me? I got addicted to the process of winning the national championship. I got addicted to what it took to get there because I knew that if I kept that same mentality, it was gonna separate me from everybody, and that no matter what I did, I was gonna be great because I had that mentality instilled. And I got to see the fruition of that work, which as you know, you can still put that work in for a lifetime and never get anything like that. you know what i'm saying but that's that's really what that national championship did it really was the beginning of my life life is what it is right now and just working continuously with as much effort as i can to be the best at whatever i got going on whether it's being a husband whether it's being a father whether it's being the best strength coach in the country like i got to put everything towards that and i might not be the best of any of those things but i'd rather in my lifetime trying to be the best than a lifetime of not trying to be the best you feel what i'm saying yeah. and that's what the that's what a national championship does it 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 it, it puts that type of mentality in you so that's that's what i got from watching them hold up that 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 trophy i'm like i need another one
1: so excelling in your football career being signed by the Arizona Cardinals in 2007 as an undrafted free agent after finally obtaining your dream what
2: was that feeling like Oh uh, man, I don't even think I really realized what was going on until I actually got in the building and I'm in there with Larry Fitzgerald. I'm in there with Edrin James. I'm in there with Kurt Warner. Uh, You know, now you like, oh man, like I'm really doing this right now. But I was an undrafted free agent. <laughs> so that's a hard lifestyle, right? I didn't get a whole lot of money up front. And I got, you know, the the undrafted free agent is is a highly unlikely thing, and that NFL stands for not for long. So once again, your mind goes from like, okay, I'm here, but like am I going to be okay with just being here just like for now and then going back to Tallahassee in a couple months saying, hey, I at least made it there? Or do I have to do everything that I possibly can to make sure that I'm here and I'm in the league for as long as I can possibly be in it? so you kind of get over that for a little bit, and then you get to your first NFL game, and you, you know you're a little starstruck, and you you're looking at the lights, and you like, dang, like they about to pay me to do this. Uh, but it's still just an everyday grind. It's still just like I can't get too caught up in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Now, if I would have got drafted, my mentality might have been a little different because I might have, you know, I would have had a little more stability in that locker room. But that wasn't the case. So my mind automatically had to just go back to grind mode. The same mode I was in when I went from Gabi to LSU, uh, being the baby, being at the bottom of the totem pole, and now being that same thing at at, uh, Arizona.
1: So how was your transition from LSU to the NFL?
2: Transition was cool. I had to work ethic. And one thing that LSU always prided themselves on is being different than everybody else. And then you really get to see how different you are when you get to the NFL. You got all these cats who they don't work like you do. There are certain things they haven't been exposed to, and they're great athletes. They've been at great universities, but once again, they don't have that same standard. Um, so, one of the good things for me was is that I had been in a, in a in a in a system that prepared me to get to the NFL and work and be in my playbook and to go hard every practice and kind of you know. Uh, raised the brow of all the coaches. Now the tough thing about that transition was, is I did all that. I probably played some of the best football i ever played in my life. Worked my behind off uh, and still got cut. So now you get a little education about the business uh, because there was even a poll, they even took a poll of what rookie free agent do you think is gonna make the team? And all the fans because of what I had been able to do in the preseason and what coaches and what some of the veteran players were saying about me in the media, they were like, Brian Johnson's gonna make the team. And then in the last preseason game, the center, the backup center got hurt. I'm competing, I'm playing guard, tackle. This guy that I'm competing with, who's also a rookie free agent, was playing center guard. Well, who they gonna keep? The, The backup center just got hurt, right? So they gotta keep the center guard and not the guard tackle because we need somebody that can step in and play center. And look, the dude ended up playing 13, 14 years in the NFL, made a lot of money, and his whole career was with the Cardinals. You know what I'm saying? So that was, that's a little bit about that transition. Like, it's not even always just, you know, what you're putting in. It's all about the business and what's, what's the need, who's expendable, who they need to get out uh, at what time. Uh, so that's just, that was part of it. So that was, my, that, was, that was my first look into football, the business.
1: So at what point did you think that your NFL career may be over?
2: Um, I knew my NFL career was over after I had a back surgery. I was in my third year, I was with the Baltimore Raven. Uh, and my back was just done. I had nerve damage, my leg would fall asleep. So I had to get a back surgery. Um, and so I went back home, I got a back surgery. I uh, was on bed rest for a month. Had to rehab for two, three more months. The season was over, so I got paid for the season uh, on IR waivers. Uh, and then I, I think after that, and like I said, that business part, and then just my the, the, what I had to go through with my back and that pain, um, I, I I just decided I was done. I wanted to get into something else. Uh, so that's what I did. I, I you know I tried. I had calls from teams to come and do workouts, but you know. Football isn't something you can just go and do. You know, there's a there's a heavy price uh, that you pay, and your body and your brain pays that price. So it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot to push yourself to go out and endure that. So at any time you feel like the love ain't there or it's not worth it, I think that's how I knew that it was just. I felt comfortable that it was time to stop. Now. With that came, you know, a little bout of depression uh, just because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I put so much into it, but I just didn't have that same feeling. So once I knew I had that feeling, uh, I was comfortable with walking away from the game. Did you always
1: see yourself as like, okay, one day when I walk away from the game, I want to be a coach. Was that something that you
2: always saw in yourself? I did. I did actually. Uh, even even when I was in college, whenever I went home, I was going to Gabby, my, my offensive line coach, Cleon McFarlane, who is my best friend to this day. Uh, I would always go see him. I'd help him uh, coach guys on the field. I'd always talk to the guys, mentor them. Like when I came home, that was my first thought with Gabby High School to make sure that I was doing my part to make sure those cats could have the same type of opportunity that I had. Uh, so it was always in me, and then somebody kind of told me, even when I was playing football, I was like, man, you, you you sound more passionate about coaching than you do actually playing football, and that was that was part of what kind of helped lead me um, into shutting football down too, because I was after I had my back surgery when that person told me that. So um, it was always there, teaching and guiding and mentoring. That's always kind of been my thing. So. I get to do that and be a part of football, there really wasn't anything else for me to do. Um, we've, we
0: had Taj Boyd on the podcast, and he talked about it a little bit. And just being an athlete and knowing, you know, could you talk a little bit about that depression, you know, letting that game go that you you start at such a young age and here you are a young man and you and you looking around, you're like, dang, what do I do with my life, you know what I'm saying? How, could you talk about that and, you know, what helped you through that
2: phase? Um, yeah, I mean, coming off a of back surgery and not feeling like the same athlete or the same person, you know, cause every athlete gets to the point where they feel like Superman. And a lot of that comes from, because you start to realize what you're actually capable of doing from, you know, just from a, a performance as humans and being at the top 1% of all human beings and what you're capable of doing, um, and, and not having that so much comes a depression. Uh, even just the respect you get from other people when they know what you do, they know who you are, they've seen you on TV, you've been on TV. You know, that whole stigma, that whole persona that you take from being, I mean, it's like the gladiator, right? You are, you the man. Uh, and, and actually being able to give that up and keep it moving. Now, my, my depression might not have been as as hard as some people who who are really, really like, you know, on the forefront one because i was an offensive lineman so i was used to not really being known or seen or talked about but there's still you still have that feeling um and you know like once all that is gone it's kind of like who am i now am i that same person to people now that i'm not playing football you know uh can i still do some of these things from an athletic standpoint Uh, if i can't you know who's going to be around who's not going to be around now that uh, i'm not what i once was or am i going to be happy with that person that can't do those things because that was what my life was built around it i was i took pride in being able to do this and now i can't uh so that's that's kind of where your where your mind goes and especially when you do start losing those people who are around when you have some money in your pocket or you know, you had that popularity. When they, when you don't hear from them, when you don't see them anymore, then it really starts to come like, oh wow, this is happening.
1: So my next question is a two-part question. The first part of the question is, how was the transition from student athlete to coach? The second part to that question is, were there any challenges you had to
2: overcome? I didn't really have any, well, transition from student athlete to coach is, you're learning the whole, the complete opposite end of the spectrum, right? How do I get the guy like who out that was like me, who had ability but didn't necessarily have a work ethic uh, when they come when they came in, or the guy that's always got the attitude, the guy who doesn't go to class? How do I motivate? How do I get these guys to be their best them? Um, and then I got to deal with other coaches. I had to deal with administration. Um, I have to deal with, uh, you know, you got you got to be a part of recruiting now. So you you just kind of you you know it's just one of them things. like with anything, you got to get in there, get your feet wet, and try to learn and soak up as much as you can. The biggest the biggest thing for me was was getting in the strength and conditioning because when I when I when I decided I wanted to start playing, my first job was at Florida State. I got that obviously because I had a relationship with Jimbo Fisher, who was my offensive coordinator. He had just gotten named head coach of Florida State. Uh, so during my time, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I was going up to Florida State all the time, just sitting in the building with them, just kicking it. Sitting and listening in meetings, asking questions, being around the building. And then that's when Jimbo said, hey, if you done playing, you know what you want to do. I was like, man, I, want to, I think I want to get into coaching. He said, well, what you want to do? I was like, I want to be in the weight room. As a player, you're thinking, oh, I'm just in the weight room. Coach is just putting weight on the bar and telling us to run. But once you get in there, you realize that there's a whole science to this thing. You got to know anatomy. You got to know physiology. You got to know biomechanics. You got to know uh, bioenergetics, right? The cardiovascular system, respiratory system. you got to know about different hormones, the endocrine system. Uh, you got to have some experience with nutrition, uh, periodization. I can I can go on and on. All these scientific terms with periodization is it, just a it's a scheme. But you know you you got to know all these things. You got to know how they fit in with each other, and then you got to look at your athletes and know uh, when you need to push them, when not to push them. I mean, even now in strength and conditioning, sport science is a big term. If you don't if you don't know those things you're not very good at your job or you aren't gonna to look to be you're not gonna be looked to as somebody who's good at their job. So it was a huge learning curve. There were things that I had to teach myself. There were questions that I had to ask that I didn't even know that I needed to ask those type of questions. So there was a lot that I needed to learn in a short period of time to get to where I wanted to be to and that's where I'm at now is director strength and conditioning. So that was really the biggest transition was the learning curve. It wasn't just some easy one book you got to read. I mean, I'm still reading books now and learning things that I didn't know. And these concepts have been a part of strength and conditioning for hundreds of years. So it's a very intricate system, a very intricate thing that you have to, that you get immersed into. And I didn't have a ton of undergraduate experience. Like I said, I had a minor in kinesiology. Uh, but I still never delved or dive as deep into how I needed to, when it was time for me to get certified and uh, actually become a strength coach. So that was, that was the biggest transition for me. What is one of the greatest joys that being a coach brings to you personally? I get to impact somebody just like I needed somebody to impact me. I talked about my offensive line coach in high school who had a major impact on me as an athlete and as a person. Um, even when I went to LSU, is having people there that I trusted, that I could talk to that were extension of my family there in Tallahassee, um, so I get to be that. I get to be that mentor. I get to be the person that becomes kind of that extension of what you're used to at home. Or even if that's not what you're used to, I'm still that extension. I'm still part of developing a human being, even though I'm a father and it's, not exactly the same, but there it is it, it, a lot the same because I would never send my son to a school where he didn't have someone like me or like the people that I had uh, in the building when I was an athlete. Uh, so that's my biggest joy is that I get to impact lives, that I get to help guide and develop uh, young men. Even the majority of those young men look like me and go through the things that I've gone through uh, and even you know what we see going on in the United States and the world today, and it's kind of helping be as much of a guide to them as I can be. Uh, that's where I get my most joy, is being that person. What
0: attributes did you learn during your time as a student athlete that you would hope to impart on your players?
2: Uh, just what I, like I talked about, what it took when we won our national championship. Working and continually striving to be the best. And it ain't just about football. Like I said, it's about being the best father you can be, being the best uh, husband you can be, being the best whatever arena you go into that you're working to be the best uh, because you want to be the best husband and you want to be the best father. You want to provide, you want to impact lives uh, and just guiding people through that process because it's not a process that everybody knows how to go through or navigate. And honestly, it's not human nature to do that or be that. It is human nature to find the path of least resistance. It is human nature to find convenience. That's why we got, that's why we love iPhones so much. That's why we Uber and we Uber eat and whatever else makes our lives easier. Um, and that's fine, but the person that made that app didn't get to where they are just by taking the easy route, right? It took some long nights, it took some sacrifice. Uh, It took them doing some things that they didn't want to do, and it definitely took them doing things that other people didn't want to do. But it's not even just about being rich and making a bunch of money. It's just about being who God wants us to be. He wants us to be our best selves. He wants us to walk in His image, right? And walking in that image means that it it entails some things. Um, the, The number one thing we know is sacrifice and we're not sacrificing our lives. We might sacrifice some time or sacrifice uh, some things that we really want that probably won't help us get to where we want to get to. But it's about, you know, helping guide them and, and, and showing them the path and them understanding and even just getting through hard times. Just just adverse situations, you know, the pandemic. You might lose your job and you got miles to feed. What are you gonna do? You gonna sit and you gonna soak and you gonna feel sorry? and complaining you're going to get up and you're going to go you know put your put your head down and go make it work and that's what life is life is getting knocked down you you, you're never gonna not get knocked down don't work to not get knocked down you got to work to make sure when you do get knocked down you pop your butt up and you keep it moving and 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 those are attributes and characteristics that all of us a lot of us most of us aren't born with we don't we don't have those things we don't see those things all the time and and when we do see them we don't necessarily recognize them and then by the time we are the age where we recognize them where we at we in college we're away from the people who love us the most that are gonna give us and show us that so i'm allowed to be that extension to take you there to show you that to get you that um so that's what you know that's just what it is so so take us back to you being
0: named a Director of Strength and Conditioning for football at the University of Arizona. You know, what was it like reaching, you know, that level in your career from sitting in,
2: you know, Jimbo's office at Florida State to this Mm -hmm. point? Well, this this is actually the second time that I've been named head strength coach. The -hmm. first time I was only, I had only been coaching two years. I didn't have a master's, I didn't have a certification. And I got there and I realized that I was a little in over my head. And that's okay to be in over your head, but I wasn't prepared to be more than that. I would have done a good job at Akron. You know what I'm saying? But that's just all it would have been. It would have been a good job. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't fully confident in what I was doing. So four months later, I left and I took an assistant job at LSU to get some more of that education, to work on becoming certified. work on getting a master's and getting the experience i needed so when i the next time i got a hair strength conditioning job i had the confidence knowing that i was prepared right preparation breeds confidence that's really it so i needed i need there was more preparation that i needed i needed to prepare myself to be the director that was going to help lead a team to a national championship so um that's what i did I, i went back to lsu i worked there for three years under my mentor who was considered by many the godfather of strength and conditioning and then i left there uh after that third year and i went out I, I did two years with the san francisco 49ers uh with a head strength coach named mark Uwiyama who's considered to be one of the best in the league he's now director of human performance for the minnesota vikings so i got some good education and then once i left there i went to texas a for one year as an assistant and then the next year coach sutherland was calling me to be his director because of what I, what he saw me doing at Texas A&M. And I felt fully confident. I felt fully comfortable coming here and being a director this time because I had prepared myself. I was prepared. So no one could tell me that I wasn't ready to be a head strength coach. And even at the times I was telling myself that I wasn't ready to be a director of strength and conditioning, I, was, I could easily talk myself out of that because I knew uh, that I had prepared and took all the steps necessary to, to to get the job and then and work on being great at it. Looking
1: back over your life and career, Man.
2: athlete and not coach,
1: what advice would you give your younger self?
2: Listen, listen, listen more and do less talking. I would have I would have listened to my parents a lot more. I would have listened to my coaches and older people who were trying to give me game uh, back then. But I, you know, we young, we have egos. Especially when, you know, everybody's telling you how good you are at something. Um, but I definitely, I would have listened, I would have listened a lot more, a lot sooner. Uh, because now being a parent and being the age I am and being a coach now, like I get it. I get it now. I get what I was doing wrong. I get what they were trying to tell me and I get why they were trying to tell me that. So you know we can't do it on our own we don't know everything we have to rely on people and that's why you have people that you call loved ones because you have to trust and believe that whatever they're telling you is for your better and uh i'm not going to say that i was just this bad kid and getting in trouble it wasn't anything like that it was just certain situations certain things that i went through that if i were to listen um I probably would've gotten things a lot sooner than I did. But the other thing I also say to that is, is that you have to trust your experiences and you have to allow your experiences to be your teachers because there are gonna be times where you're not gonna have loved ones that's gonna be able to guide you through everything. So you gotta find that equal balance. You gotta know, okay, I need to take a step back and I I need to listen and do what I'm being told to do. And then sometimes you gotta take that leap and you gotta go out there and make sure that leap doesn't become detrimental to the point where there's no bouncing back because there are actual leaps that are like that you got to be able to decipher which one is what and a lot of times listening to the people that came before you and actually care about you are the ones that'll help you decipher which one is which so that's what i would tell my younger self
1: so the title of our podcast is the process podcast and it's always it's all about different processes in life when you think about the word process what does trust the process mean to you
2: in your own words (laughs) well it's funny because trust the process was actually made very popular by the person that got me to trust in the process and i I actually think they the ones who kind of coined that term and that's coach saban um and I, i think trusting the process is Understanding that whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to reach, wherever you're trying to go, it's gonna come with a lot of different things. It's gonna come with ups. It's gonna come with downs. It's gonna come with trips, and and you almost fall. All right. It's gonna come with anything that you can think of. It's gonna come with with. There's gonna be life. There's gonna be death. Uh. There's gonna be adversity. Uh. There's gonna be things that you've never seen before. There are gonna be things that you've seen a lot of. All right, sometimes you'll get hit upside the head by something three, four times before you hit it upside the head. At the end of the day, you've got to be able to keep pushing and keep working towards what you want and where you want to go to. And trusting the process is continuing to take those steps, not being egotistic enough to think, that another, a different type of step has to be created. You can have a plan, all right? Your process can be planned out, but you gotta be smart enough to know that something might come to kind of change the path. And you gotta be okay, because sometimes that change in that path is gonna take you to a completely different part. Or the detour could take you way out of the way. It it might be a five day detour, it might be a five year detour, but you got to continue to trust that whatever that detour is, if, it, if in your mind you see that that's the way that I need to go, you need to trust and you need to go there and get there. So that's why, I, that's that to me, that when, when it says trust the process, it's just, don't just look at the good and just keep going for that. Because usually when you're doing that, all right, you're, you're getting closer to being complacent. All right, find the things that challenge you and trust that you're ready and willing to get through it. And if you ain't, then you need to take a couple steps back. Similar to that step, that I had to take after I got that head job at Akron. I had to take that step back.
0: Hey, we want to thank you so much for joining us and taking the time out to share your story. Uh, no, are there any sad. lasting words? Ain't hey, no problem. Are there any lasting words that you want to leave with the listeners?
2: Man, I think I said it all, honestly. Y'all got me to, to spitting a little bit, but I, you know, I just <laughs> trust, you know, trust it, rely on your loved ones, trust your gut, follow your instinct. and 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 don't be scared of taking the hard the hard path man because i'm telling you nine times out of ten you'll you'll come out better
1: this episode was brought to you by overcome achieve clothing allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge wear your truth overcome
0: Trust the process. Trust
1: the process. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.